0: Hey, welcome to everybody. Glad that you guys are here. Um, Welcome to our series on spiritual warfare. If you're new here, uh, we've been going through the last several weeks talking about what spiritual warfare is, talking about um, the schemes of the enemy. First of all, who is the enemy? Angels and demons, what are they? Who is Satan and why has he got such a problem? And we started then going into What's spiritual warfare look like? And then from what's it look like, we started saying, okay, if we know that we're in a battle, we know that we're in a battle all the time. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter, and I read this every week, 1 Peter 5.8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is an important scripture because it really details out how important this fight is. It's not just an every once in a while thing. It's not one of those things where you can just say, yeah, I remember that one day I had. I had a really bad day that one time. That was spiritual warfare for sure. You are under attack all day, every day. And Satan is always looking at a way to get to you. And that's why this is so important. Then we transitioned into some of our weapons, some of our tools that we have. We talked about uh, the armor of God and all of the different facets of that. I talked about the power of prayer as spiritual warfare last week. And if you missed it, go back and check out our podcast. You can get it on through iTunes, through Google Play, or you can listen straight through our website. Listen to Pastor Gabe's message on the power of the prophetic in spiritual warfare. It was a great message. I was so blessed by it. I hope that you were. Um, But So we've talked about all the different aspects of spiritual warfare in terms of that. We've talked about the devil's schemes, how he'll do anything to get at you. And I think we did a fairly good job outlaying what some of our different weapons are. But here's a problem. What good are weapons if you look out at your adversary and you think, they are way more powerful than I am. You can know you're under attack. You can know there's somebody that wants to, to get at you. You can know all that. You can know that there are weapons available. But what if you still look out at that enemy and you're saying, I don't know, he's pretty powerful. It's difficult then to say, okay, well, I'm just going to pick up the, I'm going to be David and pick up my little sling and go out To Goliath, not all of us are in that position where we can just say, Hey, I know it's not much of a weapon, but let's go. In practical, real world instances, it's very hard just to say, I'm just going to do that and step into it. Movies do an even greater job at letting us think that we're powerless against that. Look at any movie that's about things spiritual or demonic, and it makes it seem like we're pretty much just pawns and puppets right? And if you're lucky, you have somebody, a priest who's really good looking, maybe he got a five o'clock shadow and, you know, and he looks really strong and powerful and he can get in and he's got some holy water and he can do all the right things for you. But really the crux of most of those things is find somebody who can do this for you, who can fight against the demonic, who can fight your spiritual battles. Find somebody because the devil's really powerful and you don't want to take him on your own that's what we're led to believe most often. What if i told you though that you had the very power of the creator of heavens and earth at your disposal? It's not something you have to summon. It's not something you have to go get. You have access to it. 24/7 all the time. You have access to that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If You call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You have access to the very power of God to fight the demonic realm. And that's important. And I'm going to talk to you about that tonight because we can be told that, we can be taught that, but unless you grasp that in your heart, when the moment of truth comes, when you're faced with that battle at your doorstep, we all of a sudden revert back to, I need to find somebody. Who can do this for me. And there is value in having somebody who can explain to you how to use these tools and how to do these things, but they've got no more power than you have. We've all got the same power delegated to us through Christ. It's that very power and authority of Jesus that has been delegated to you as a believer. Our first scripture we have on screen is Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So, those of you who have been coming for a while and know that I like to teach and I like to take out words and say, like, okay, what does that word really mean in the Greek or in the Hebrew that it was original? What does all things mean? Very good. You guys have a good teacher. <laughs> all things means all things. So if you believe, as the scripture says, that all things were created by him, through him, for him, he created everything. If you believe he created everything, you also have to believe that he created the rules or the foundations by which we live our lives. Not just the physical realm, but those structures and those and those social rules and the things that govern our daily lives. You have to believe that. He created the systems, the very systems that govern our lives. God is the creator of those things also, because that's one of all things. You can go ahead and take that one down. So if I ask you to go all the way back, when were the first laws invented? When were the first laws invented? Anybody have any idea? Adam and Eve, the garden. Very good. Okay, I was expecting some of my history buffs in here to go, well, back in 1700 BC, uh, there was the Code of Hammurabi. He was a Babylonian, and he first codified all the, which would have been correct in that context. However, there were laws set in place by God way before that and have always been. And those laws govern our lives. And we have to be aware of those things. So question, I already asked it, what are the first laws created by God? If, I, if we agree that God created the first laws, what are, what's the first law that God created? Anybody know? Don't eat of the tree. Don't eat of the tree. Okay. That's a good one. Any others? This isn't a back and forth, Leah. You throw out an answer. Throw out an answer. Yes, it is. (laughs) Gravity. (laughs) The law of gravity. So you're saying, no, it's okay. Hey, let's go. Let's go. I heard it. I actually heard it right here. What about the law of gravity? May not be the first, but it was certainly one of the first. That's a law, right? It's a law. governs how we exist on this earth. That's true. Genesis 8, if you read Genesis 8, it lays out the principles of seed time and harvest, meaning seasons. It lays out uh, principles of cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. It lays out all of these, and while you may not think of them as a law that's codified and carved in stone, they're laws that govern how we live our lives and there are so many examples of those things there're physical laws there're spiritual laws and there's wisdom laws but there's also justice laws there's also justice laws by which we must live our lives colossians chapter 2 verses 13 14 When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, listen to verse 14 having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. A certificate of debt that had to be canceled. There was a price for our transgressions that had to be paid according to the justice of a just and righteous God. He couldn't turn his back and look away and pretend like the very laws that he created didn't exist. There was a price that had to be paid, and therefore Jesus paid that price for us. It's important to understand that. God would not operate outside of the very laws that he created for us. So then another legal principle, and the one that's going to be kind of the focus of what we talk about here tonight, is the principle of power of attorney. I bet you never thought you'd hear us talk about power of attorney in church, right? Probably not very often. Do we have any lawyers here in the... Okay. Because I was going to have you tell me what power of attorney is. But thankfully, in the absence of lawyers, I have a definition right here. This is the legal, the real world Webster's Dictionary definition of power of attorney. The power of attorney provides authorization to represent or act on another's behalf in a specific matter. The person authorizing the other to act is the principal. The one authorized to act is the agent. The agent is authorized to act with the authority of the principal within carefully spelled out stipulations as to what a person can and cannot do with that authority. Did you hear that? I know that was kind of long, but we'll kind of revisit that concept here. Now, there's a lot of biblical precedent for the idea of power of attorney. Now, they didn't call it power of attorney in the Bible, but let me share with you some of the biblical precedents for this. Genesis 41, these, I'm just gonna read these to you. Genesis 41, 38 to 42, says, Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. Second only to the throne. So Joseph was given that power of attorney. Moses was given a ter- uh, power of attorney, that authority over Israel, Exodus 3.15. God, furthermore, said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial name to all generations. He empowered Moses to do that. And then Daniel, if you remember the book of Daniel chapter 248. King Nebuchadnezzar gives this authority to Daniel after Daniel revealed the power that he had in the prophetic Daniel 2.48, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. Then he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. There are many more instances in the word where that power is given, where a ruler delegates that power and that authority. And it's not just a little bit. If you notice, it's always you have power over everything I have power over with the exception of the throne. It's not just a little bit. They give them all power of authority. Then we go on, we switch over to the New Testament. We see Jesus receiving that authority directly from his father. Look at John fourteen ten. This one we have on screen. Do you not believe that I am in the father? This is Jesus speaking. That I am in the father and the father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own. Instead, it is the father dwelling in me performing his works his authority Jesus's authority came from his father and yet when he was on earth he never lacked for any authority that he needed but after Jesus received that authority delegated from father God he passed it along to you now this is where it really gets interesting so listen to this John fourteen 12. we've got this on screen too This is Jesus again speaking. Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I'm doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. This he's telling his disciples, who are saying, don't leave, there's so much to do. And he says, don't worry about it. You're gonna do greater things than these because you're gonna have the power and authority to do that. Now this, this, scripture right here, there are a lot of people who believe that the gifts of the spirit, power against the spiritual realm, things like that, all died out with the first apostles. Those people are generally, from a theological standpoint, are called cessationists, and they believe that those powers and those signs, or those sign wonders, those sorts of things, died out with the first apostles, and they really only were given to establish the church, and to show the power of the church, And you could argue that, and a lot of people do argue that. But this scripture right here, Jesus himself says, you will do greater things than these. doesn't put a time frame on it. It doesn't say, just till things get going. There's no time frame on that. Jesus paid the price and atoned for our sins and then returned to heaven and gave his power of attorney to his disciples, of which you are, to rule the kingdom. God has put us in charge of his kingdom until Christ returns. And that's important for us to know. We have the very authority in Christ to act on his behalf in specific areas. Now, we don't have that blanket power of eternity that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament where I give you charge of everything. We don't have charge of everything, but we have been given very specific powers through Christ to accomplish things in his behalf on, in the kingdom. So with that authority, then, how does that apply specifically to what we're talking about here, which is spiritual warfare, angels, and demons? Okay, so if we understand that Jesus did pass that on, how does that apply? Let's look at that. Let's look at that. The very first scripture I have here in, in this half is Luke 9.1. It says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Now, again, this is one of those that the cessationists will look at and say, okay, he gave the 12 that power. The 12 went out. Very explicitly says the 12 had that power to go do that. The problem is you take scripture in isolation and you could easily be convinced that that's what that means. Very easily. We read on in context, we read on in Luke, and what we find out is the 12 come back and they show that they have been able to do many of these wonderful things. And Jesus says, okay, it's time to increase the size of my army. And he sends out more. That word, by the way, when he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority... That word authority, here's your Greek lesson or your first Greek lesson for today. That word authority translates as exousia. Exousia specifically means delegated power. Delegated power. So in keeping with that idea of power of attorney, exousia isn't, I'm giving you power. You can stand up, you can hurl lightning bolts, you can do whatever you want. I've given you the power. It doesn't mean that. It's delegated power, meaning within the stipulations that Scripture lays out, we have that power and authority to do signs and wonders and miracles and fight demons and stand against the enemy in Jesus' name. We have that delegated authority. So again, you might say, is this just for the 12 then? Well, if we read on in Luke, again, I always say, take everything you read in context. Read the Scriptures before and after. Preferably the whole book or the whole chapter before and after. So you get an idea of what they're really trying to get at. So if we go a little bit farther, Luke 10, 17, 18. says, the 70, this is after Jesus said, I need to increase the size of my army. I'm going to send out more. So he sends out 70. Some, some translations say 72, but accurately it's actually 70. It says, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In other words, he's back. And in the prophetic, he's envisioning his disciples out, doing battle with demons. And like a good father, he's watching what he has taught them, what he's empowered them with, and they're putting it into action, and he's watching it. He's not actively involved in this battle, but he's watching it. And this bottom part, this is often misunderstood, this verse 18. Jesus said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Many people think, okay, that's confusing. Was, Jesus, was Satan in heaven? Was Satan in heaven and this is when he fell? It gets very confusing. Here's the thing, though. Our English translations switch words and tenses around all the time in order to try and make it flow into something that sounds like a sentence for us. What this means is I was watching Satan quickly fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, picture lightning coming down, how instantaneous and how quickly that is. Okay, we've switched the tenses in this. You go back and you look at the order that was actually written in, in the Greek, and that's what that means. Satan fell quickly. And Jesus is saying, he submitted to you and your authority in me immediately. It wasn't a process and it wasn't an argument. It just happened. That's what that means. So Jesus then explains, he goes on to explain the very next verses. We can get that up there. Jesus, uh, Luke 10, 19, 20. I have given you, this is my favorite scripture in the whole Bible, by the way, and I've said this before. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That is my favorite scripture for spiritual warfare because it spells it out. We have, not only do we have authority over scorpions and serpents, but over all the power of the enemy. Everything that he can throw at you, nothing can injure you. Nothing. Let's take a closer look at that. I want to kind of pull that apart a little bit. And look at it a little bit more. Now, first of all, when Jesus says, I have given you authority over serpents and scorpions, he's reminding them of what David actually wrote. There's a psalm, Psalm I've got it written down here, 91.13, where David says, you'll tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. This is as he's encouraging his armies before they go into war. And he's encouraging them. And Jesus is recalling that authority that, that they would have very well been familiar with. Saying, yeah, we've always had that. We've always had that authority. So, then, so that's kind of the, the, the figurative part. And then literally, in terms of this, Acts 28.3 says, But when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them in the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Remember that story? That's literally this playing out. viper fastens itself on Paul's hand. He just shakes it off like it's nothing. That's that authority in Christ. And then the phrase where it says, and nothing will injure you. Okay, this is Greek lesson number two. Injure is etikeo in Greek, okay? And what it means, this is important, acting contrary to what is divinely approved. You read that, Nothing will be contrary to what is divinely approved. With that in mind, let's look at another scripture. Let's look at Romans 8.28. I've got that up here. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Knowing that anything that comes your way He's not saying Jesus isn't saying nothing will nothing will will stub your toe, that you'll never cut yourself, that you'll never be physically injured. He's saying nothing will happen to you that isn't divinely approved. Nothing will happen to you that God hasn't already seen and hasn't already made plans to use it for your good. That means the happiness and the sorrow, the pain the joy, the suffering, the hope, the good, the bad. Everything that comes our way, God has foreseen it and said, you may stub your toe on that rock, but watch what I'm going to do with it. I've already got plans. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can come against you that isn't divinely approved. That's important to know. That's great news. But Jesus actually leaves us with a couple caveats a couple warnings if you will on this the first one verse 20 if we look back at verse 20 nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven he's saying don't celebrate that you have this spiritual power don't celebrate in that celebrate in the fact that the battle's already won and your names are written in the book of life in heaven your, your salvation, the end game, the final victory, that is all secure. So keep your eyes focused there. Not on the battle. I've given you what you need to fight the battle. I've explained this to you. You have that. But our focus shouldn't be on the fight. Our focus is on the victory. Amen? So that's great news. But there are a couple things to remember. First of all, we can't just do Anything in the name of Jesus. Okay, the fact that Jesus gave us his power of attorney, remember the definition of the power of attorney, specific powers to act in specific ways in specific situations. What are those situations? Well, they're written in the Word for us. We can find scripture that outlines what our authorities are in Christ, what we can and can't do. You can't just say, in the name of Jesus, X without it being authorized by Jesus. And this is, this is all written out in Scripture. There are many. Here's one, though. Mark 16, 17, 18. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. Remember, it's in the name of Jesus. It's not in your name or in your power. It's in the name, power, and authority of Jesus. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick And they will recover. I am not advocating picking up serpents and drinking poison. Just so we're clear. You always have to say that because there's somebody who just wrote that down. I've been wanting to try that. This scripture and many others lay out our authority in Christ and what things we can do in his authority and the things that we can't do. If you try to do things in the authority of Jesus Christ that either, one, have not been authorized for you to do, or number two, you're calling upon the name of Jesus and you don't know Jesus, meaning you haven't been given that authority, it doesn't turn out well. There's a story in the Bible. It's in Acts 19, 14 to 16. I'll read it to you. It's about the seven sons of Sceva. You ever heard that scripture? Some have, some have not, though. Listen what happens. These were, these were basically sorcerers, wizards, right? And, and they were trying to evoke the name of Jesus to accomplish these things that they'd seen done, but they didn't know Jesus. Look what happens. This is Acts 19, 14 to 16. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit, they confronted this evil spirit. The evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? How many of you know if you're standing there, you're like, uh-oh. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, seven sons, the man with the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That brings a picture to mind, right? Right? This is what happens when you try and use the authority of Jesus without knowing Jesus. That's step one in any spiritual warfare that we do. Know where your power and authority comes from. Know who your Savior is. And know your authority in him. That's it. Know what authority and power you have. Know that you have it, because it's one thing to know of it. Know that you have it and then know and focus on the giver of that authority. The only requirement to access that is a true relationship with Christ. Again, you can't just know of him. Not unless you want to end up naked and wounded and running around. Sounds like a cool Saturday night for some people, but I didn't say that. Let's get rid of that. We'll edit that out later. Hey, worship team, you guys can go ahead and head up. A relationship... With Christ in this case is made possible by humbly submitting yourself to Christ humbly Jesus warns against this you don't do it you don't rejoice in your power you rejoice that it's been done for you that's coming to him in humility in fact a little bit later James James the book of James is written by Jesus's half-brother Okay? Actually, James happens to be the first book, chronologically, that's written in the New Testament books. Okay? James was the first one. So Jesus' own half-brother, the first to write down, to pen scripture and put it down, says this in, in uh, chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Spiritual warfare is not a new thing. It's not a new idea. It's been going on forever. The word submit, by the, by the way, right there, doesn't mean to give in. Submit to God doesn't mean just to give in. Give in to that sleeper hold he's got you in. Tap out. Okay, I give, God. It means to willingly submit. In the terms of an army, it means to enlist instead of being drafted. You made this choice, and when you willingly choose to submit yourself to God, and align yourself with Jesus Christ, that is when this power and authority comes to you. You don't need anyone else to do it for you. Jesus died to give that victory and give that authority to you. So question, are you tired of fighting these battles on your own? Who here feels like they've been in a spiritual battle sometime in the last couple days? Some days we do better than others, but we always need someone on our side to fight those battles with us. And that person is Jesus. And when we accept him, and when we know him, and when we join him in our calling, we have the very authority of the King of Kings at our disposal. And nothing can hurt you. Nothing can stand against you. Ultimately, with all that knowledge, our response to this should be to praise Him. It should be to praise Him that no matter what comes your way, do you understand what a big thing that is? No matter what comes your way, you are promised that He is gonna use it for your good. Did you just lose a job that you thought you had and was secure, and now you don't know how you're gonna pay your bills? Do you know Jesus? If you do, the promise is he will use that for your good. Did somebody you know just get sick? Somebody you know um, break your heart, hurt you? Do you know Jesus? If you do, the promise is he will use that for your good. I could go on and on all night, but the point is there's nothing that the enemy can throw at you, nothing that can happen to you that you have not already been promised is going to be turned around, used for your good, to smack the enemy right in the face. So when I say, did you lose a job? Rejoice. Yes. Are you going through a trial in your life of one, time, of one type or another? There's a thousand different types of trials. Are you going through one now? Then rejoice. Because he has promised you, and we can trust in his promises that you aren't fighting it alone and that it will work for your good. Now, as I said, the caveat is you need to know Jesus. So if you're sitting in here right now, and you're saying, I want all that, I'm going through some trials, but I am getting beat up and bloodied like the seven sons. But it's not because I'm trying to do anything, it's just because I don't have Jesus in my life. You can ask Jesus into your life anytime. The seven sons of Sceva, they knew who Jesus was they didn't submit to him. They didn't submit to his authority. So if you're here and you're like, I know I'm sitting in a church, I know who Jesus is, but you haven't given your life to him, I wanna urge you to do that now. It's as easy as profess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And if you need help with that, if you need help proclaiming that or help just figuring out how do I say this or what does this mean? We have a prayer team in the back that would would happily pray that through with you and talk to you about that. I would be happy to talk to you about that after service. But that's where it starts. We do not and cannot engage in spiritual warfare unless we have the King of Kings on our side. So that's where it all starts. So we're gonna go into communion now. That is a time to celebrate, to celebrate, thank him. Remember what he did for us, but remember it not as a somber, solemn event. Remember it as that's the moment where we were given victory over anything the devil could throw at us. Very victory in salvation of life over death. So let's remember that as we take communion. If you're new here or haven't been in a while, we do communion, we have at the crosses, we have juice and bread and crackers there. And if you wanna serve yourself or serve your family, you can just dip the bread or the cracker in the juice, take it. Up front here, we have wine and bread and crackers, and we would be happy to serve you up here if you would rather be served. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to go through anything in order to take communion here and celebrate Jesus. You do have to call Jesus your Lord and Savior. It's the only stipulation. Before we do that though, let's take a moment and pray. Would you join me? Father God, your word promises us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered delivered from anything that the enemy can throw against us. And so right now, Lord, we lift you up in this place and we call upon your name in all humility and in desperation, Lord, that you would remind us that we are not subject to anything that the devil, the flesh, the world, anything can throw at us. We are not subject to that because we are overcomers and we are rulers along with you. We stand side by side with the King of Kings. And we thank you for that, Lord, because that is the gift you have given us. And Lord, we know we have a job to do in that. So let us walk boldly where you call us. Let us wield that authority of Jesus Christ in those situations that you walk us to. Let us never turn our backs or run away or shirk from our responsibility to do battle on your behalf in the kingdom. Lord, we're not looking for it, but if you lead us to it, we will step up. Father, we thank you for everything that you do for us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross and it's in his name we pray.